0: After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En-Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. This week on Useful to God Radio with Dr. James Spencer, we are going to have a useful conversation on how to respond to God rather than to situations. James, another chapter for a short course on obstacles, big and small. We find David near the crags of the wild goats. What should we be looking for? (laughs)
1: <laughs> well I think what we should be looking for is what we look for throughout the rest of the books of first and second Samuel, which uh, while we divide them in our Bibles they're actually one book so we can just call it Samuel um for our purposes. but as we read through the the book of Samuel what we what we'll ultimately find is that uh David really does restrain himself in a number of instances from killing any, Israelites or uh, making any specific political moves that would make it appear that he put himself on the throne of Israel. Now, the one glaring exception to that obviously would seem to be Uriah the Hittite. But let's keep in mind that Uriah was a Hittite and that David was already occupying the throne at that point. And so um, as he's being pursued by Saul, as uh, he is chased from the throne uh, by his own family and encounters some of Saul's uh, descendants in the books of, uh, uh, in the second book of Samuel, um, what we find is that David is uh, hard pressed to raise a hand against Saul's family or against his own family, not because David is passive, but because he is interested in having God be glorified by establishing him on the throne forever. And so what we should be looking for here is for David to restrain himself, to stop himself from doing something uh, in order to give God the glory.
0: All right, the next part, uh, he came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Uh, that, I always love that part. Uh, David and his <laughs> men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Suspenseful, uh, like taking a swipe at Saul just to see how close he could get to vengeance. Uh, you, can, uh, you, you can almost hear the music behind the crags. Let's talk background. Uh, David is a warrior and a worshiper, a man after God's own heart. Sometimes he is discerning, and other times he just acts on emotion, big time. Uh, what is David struggling with?
1: I think here David is struggling with what what we would often struggle with. I I mean, let's keep in mind what's happened to David up to this point. Um, David has been anointed king over Israel. Samuel has anointed him um, and he knows that he is going to get the throne of Israel. The problem is that he hasn't been installed. And so if we can make a, you know, sort of a distinction between being anointed and being installed as king, actually knowing that you're going to get the office and waiting to actually get the office. David is existing in this time in between when he knows he's going to be king, but he's not sure when he's going to be king. So he's dealing with high degrees of ambiguity. And he knows that Saul has been rejected from the throne of Israel. That's why he was anointed in the first place. And so as, as he's in this cave and Saul comes in and he has this opportunity, David's dealing with both the pressure from his men who are saying, is there a better opportunity than now that God could have possibly given you to um, defeat your enemy and take the throne of Israel? And, you know, he's, he's, he's seeing this as this moment where he really could just kill Saul and it would all be over. Um, He could take the throne, Saul would be dead, and then he would be the rightful king of Israel. But he's also struggling with this idea that it shouldn't be by his own hand. What he really wants is for God to establish him on the throne of Israel. He doesn't want God. He doesn't want it to appear that he has done this in his own strength, that by some coincidence or military strategy or, you know, in this case, just, you know, sort of a a happenstance meeting um, where, where Saul accidentally wanders into a cave where David and his men are hiding. This needs to be something that God does. Otherwise, I think David feels like it's not really worth doing. And so he's struggling with this moment where he's like, how long do I have to be chased around in the deserts of Israel and the caves of Israel and living on the run versus um, how badly do I want God to establish the throne? How badly do I want to point to God? How badly do I want to respond to him in this moment, as opposed to taking advantage of this situation that I find myself in?
0: So let's let's switch gears a bit. Uh, Many of us are not in the position to this degree. Uh, I think about the rudder of the human body, as we talked about in James, the tongue and positions that we find ourselves in where we know we have the opportunity to take our nemesis, our enemy out with a single phrase like a zinger in the first degree. How do we respond to situations like this?
1: I, I actually think we see this pattern in, in other places in scripture. So I would point to something like, you know, Moses, you know, Moses sees a Hebrew being abused by one of the Egyptians and he, uh, he ends up killing the Egyptian and burying him in the sand. And then he has to flee to Midian. And at that moment, what we see is Moses is rightly identifying the enemy, Um, He recognizes that the Egyptians should not be mistreating the Hebrews. He recognizes that the Hebrews need to be liberated from slavery and need to be treated well, but he doesn't have all the pieces. He doesn't really understand why that needs to happen or when it's going to happen. And he certainly miscalculates whether or not he has the strength to actually solve the problem that is happening at this moment, or whether he's capable only of killing one Egyptian and then we'll have to flee. And so... There, there's this idea that what we need to be doing is we need to be um, sort of creating a disposition or an orientation for ourselves in life that we are exercising restraint. And we even see this in the book of James, which is where, you know, the the rudder of the tongue kind of comes in. Um, we are to be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to anger. That is a, a restraining posture. It's one where we are to look at a situation and ask ourselves whether or not, not whether or not it's right, what is happening, whether the situation is right or wrong is sort of inconsequential. The next question then becomes, um, how should we faithfully engage with that situation? And that's where we have to learn to sort of see God in the moment, that God is a part of every situation that we are in. He's always present, and he is the most relevant actor and factor within those situations. And so what we're really asking ourselves is, Lord, do you, how do you want me to respond to this situation at this point? What does that really look like for me to engage in the situation at this point? Maybe, um, to go back to your question, you know, is a zinger in the first degree, right, the right way to respond in situations where we can take out our enemy? Maybe, maybe not. um but I, I mean, My tendency is to think that as we predispose ourselves to thinking that God is there, that he is the most relevant actor and factor in that situation, that we are orienting ourselves to him, that we will begin to have a better feel for what this looks like. Um, I'll kind of say this. I I think most of us recognize the difference between um, taking a bath and being baptized, right? There's there's common elements to both. There's water, right? And it's water that we can immerse ourselves into. But we are not usually under the impression that whenever we take a bath, we're rebaptizing ourselves because baptism in, involves a set of other kind of characteristics and rituals that go along with it. There's usually somebody who is baptizing you. There are words that are spoken. There's a congregation who are witnessing. There There's a bigger... There are other elements within the context of a baptism, make it a baptism and make it clear that what we're doing is baptism as opposed to just taking a bath. And I think that as we learn to respond to God within the situation, it will become as apparent that we are responding to him within the situation as opposed to responding to the situation as it is between the difference between a bath and a baptism. That's where we want to get to.
0: All right, let's move on. Uh, Verse 5. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave And went his way. Uh, David is conscience stricken. What's the Hebrew for that? Uh, In uh, in radio, there's there's so much competition when when you're trying to come up with a line that we can cling to, and yet no matter what a politician does or says, uh, we may find ourselves in a position to insult or parody or take out someone, uh, something that we don't agree with. Uh, David won't fight that battle. You think of uh, Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, cutting off the ear of a soldier who's arresting Jesus. Put away your sword, Jesus responds. And after that, Peter doesn't fight. Uh, Jesus heals the man and is led away. How do we respond to God instead of situations?
1: I think the number one thing I would tell people is, You know, there's there's your basics, right? That everybody would say, right? We have to be far more familiar with our Bibles. Um, We have to understand the, the patterns and ways of life that Jesus exhibited during his earthly life. We need to have a clear sense of our purpose and understanding of what it is that we're doing. And, and I think that as we look at those basics, they really are very foundational for seeing God in our lives and responding to God in ways that will advance not our purposes or our agendas, but his purposes. And so the way I usually factor this out is I, I think it through like this. Number one, we have to have a clarity and an understanding of what it is that we are actually trying to do. I think oftentimes as Christians, we tend to think that God needs us to defend him. And while we should always be prepared to give a ready defense for the hope that we have within us, I'm not sure that what that verse is teaching us is that God needs us to defend him. And so um, we need to be careful about that. God doesn't need us to defend him. God needs us to serve him. He He wants us to serve him. He wants a, He wants to use us. And so we need to set aside our agendas, no matter how legitimate they may be, and just recognize that all of the things that we care about have to be, you know, situated underneath what we're really supposed to be doing. And that is in my mind, being and making disciples for Jesus Christ. And so when we think about it in terms of every interaction that we are doing, it's an opportunity for us to either lead someone to Jesus Christ or to encourage someone who already knows Jesus to grow in their faith. Those are the purposes that we are always shooting for in these situations. And so now, whatever situation we find ourselves in, we can use that as a framework to look at it and say, what actions or words or, you know, things can I do in this situation that will help either A, lead someone closer to Christ who doesn't know him or B, help others recognize, you know, that they can grow in their faith if I act in this manner, it all becomes about being and making disciples, growing the church, both numerically through evangelism, but also strengthening it um, through the building up of the body of Christ. And so I think there's a, a framework issue that we have to address. We have to recognize what our purpose is. The other passage that I usually go to when, when people talk about this is um, the verse in 1 Corinthians where Paul talks about doing, he is all things to all people that he might save some. And in that context, what he's really talking about is that he is, you know, obviously Jewish by background, but he's not overly concerned with preserving his Jewish identity or the identity of the Jews overall. He's also ministering to the Gentiles, but he's not overly concerned with preserving the Gentile identity or, you know, or anything like that. What he's trying to do is to navigate these two cultures, let's say these two ethnic groups so that he doesn't put roadblocks in the ways of the gospel. And I think oftentimes it's difficult for us to think that way because what we want to do is win the battle and we start to lose sight of the war. And so we've got to take sort of a long view of these things where the way that we respond is going to reflect on who Jesus is. And so whether we win a a short-term battle, you know, like we make a really great argument, we can be biting and cutting and, and, you know, um, we could, we can cut the soldier's ear off in the moment. (laughs) right? Um, We may not want to do that because it doesn't ultimately point others to Christ. So I would say, let's, let's develop the basics and then let's adopt a framework that helps us understand really and truly what our purpose is in every situation and every interaction and begin asking ourselves the question, how is it that I, I be and make disciples in this moment, in this situation? How is it that I honor God by being and making disciples? because he's standing right there in front of us. And we just need to recognize that obeying him is always going to be our best response.
0: You know, I was just thinking about uh, when we do, when we when we do cut off the the soldier's ears, and and you kind of yeah. you kind of see how Jesus uh, w- made something out of that uh, that was more on the discipleship level. He heals, uh, he heals the man. He he performs a miracle, uh, and um, what Peter meant uh, for you know, let's let's really just you know the, let's let's just go into battle. Empty the benches and uh, and and started fighting. That would have defeated the whole purpose of what Jesus's main mission was on Earth, uh, and uh, the 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 message of salvation. Right. Think about things that that we do uh, uh, that that God may have a different purpose. We may be able to uh, to start fighting uh, uh, the the people that we're supposed to be discipling, and um, God does make things not just better, but he does turn it all around. Uh, does God do that when we kind of defeat the purpose?
1: I think so. I mean, I, I think there's there's a sense in which, um, you know, if you go back to Jesus in Gethsemane, right, and Peter's action toward the soldier, he's going to cut the soldier's ear off, and, and Jesus then heals the soldier. But Peter's just misrecognizing the situation right? He's so focused on protecting Jesus, right? That he doesn't recognize that Jesus, despite the fact that Jesus has told his disciples across the whole time that he's got to die on the cross. Peter still wants to stop that. He doesn't understand all that God is doing. And so he makes a rash decision and acts out in ways that are actually counter to what God is trying to do. And in that moment, um, Peter becomes something of an obstacle. To where Jesus needs to go right Jesus needs to go to the cross and, and I think this is sort of where uh, my emphasis on the purpose, the the real trajectory of the Christian life we have to recognize this if if we are really truly about being and making disciples, right then we have to we have to reckon every situation we're in through that lens. If we really do want to be all things to all people that we might save some, we have to reckon those things through that lens. Now I don't think that that I'm not arguing for passivity. I'm not arguing that we never stand up, that we never make an argument, that we never have debates, that we never, you know, do these kind of things, but I will say I think there's a difference between being right and acting rightly. And we have to do both. We have to be right rightly we have to we have to rebuke with gentleness we have to constantly be thinking how do i move this individual and the people who may be listening to whatever i'm whatever conversation i'm having or watching whatever action i'm taking how is it that i'm moving them and pointing them to christ as opposed to trying to get them to uh, adopt my argument that's not what we're after i don't i don't know that we care that people agree with us without also or without first agreeing that Jesus is the Lord. And and so we've got to keep that purpose in mind. And I think if Peter had had that purpose in the garden, he wouldn't have cut the soldier's ear off. He would have recognized that this is the inevitable move that Jesus was put on earth to do. He's being taken away to be crucified and that necessarily has to happen. And so there's no reason for him to do what he did, except that he just misunderstands what's going on. So we do have to think this through and and trust that God has a purpose and a plan that we're not always privy to. We don't understand. We know where he's going to go. We know he's going to create the new heavens and the new earth, but we don't exactly know how he's going to get there, right? Every step along the way is not mapped out for us. And so our job as Christians is really to learn to respond. And we do that by emulating the patterns that Christ exhibits in his life by understanding scripture so well and and meditating on God's word that we begin to just live that out little by little, day by day, and that we can adopt a posture that says, listen, I know the world is going to be against me. And so there's no reason for me to adopt a defensive posture. I just need to learn to respond with gentleness, with kindness, with compassion, with love, and with the sort of attitude that is going to lead people to Christ.
0: I'm I'm seeing some uh some some very sm- much similarities between David at times and Peter at mm-hmm. times which is uh, yeah. kind of a, yeah. a thing I don't know if I've ever seen that before but uh but that uh, that emotional response but uh but here we're we're uh comparing two different animals here because uh uh mm-hmm. you know not going in for the kill as David uh, was with Saul, and then uh, cutting off a soldier's ear as Peter was with the soldier, uh, and uh, and how Jesus uh, how Jesus fixed that uh, in uh, right. in so many right. ways. Um, so we're going to end here this week, and for our radio audience, we will continue on this subject matter. We will close today with the new feature becoming useful to God. For more information and. For for renewable resources, like "Go Dark, Shine Bright," and "Useful to God," uh, the book by Dr. James Spencer, and and soon to come audiobook of uh, "Of Useful to God," and Christian resistance: learning to defy the world and follow Christ. I'm Richard Beatty, and for Dr. James Spencer, visit us at usefultogod.org. Welcome to Becoming Useful to God with Dr. James Spencer. I'm Richard Beatty. James, in your book titled Christian Resistance, you suggest when God is not at the forefront of our vision, we will find it more difficult to engage in an obedient resistance. What can we do to keep God in the
1: forefront of our vision? Well, consider the person described in Psalm 1. Who does not choose the path of those who oppose God, but delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. Instead of adopting the ways of the world, we are to find joy in the Lord's wisdom. We are to be so enamored with God's instruction that we are only willing to live according to God's way. To keep God at the forefront of our vision requires that we know his word and do his word. We have to set aside our own wit and wisdom and embrace God's wisdom if we desire to be useful to him.
0: Find out how you can become more useful to God. Visit UsefulToGod.org.